Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. How are you doing, everybody? I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. If I haven't met you, welcome. Special welcome to those of you at our new campus in Essex County. Can we hear it for Essex County? An awesome to be with you guys, particularly last week as uh, we kicked off a brand new campus there, met a ton of great new friends and folks from uh, all over Montclair, Nutley, Caldwell, the Oranges. We're so glad you're with us joining our families in Morristown and New Brunswick. Um, you're coming at a great time. It's an exciting moment. If you're new to our church, we're beginning this series we're calling Broke and perhaps never before in our history as a nation. Has there been this growing sense that things are broke? Not just in Washington, not just our government, but really our financial system, our entire way of living. Things are kind of breaking down. Have you sensed this? It's kind of affecting families and the lives of many people in this room. Uh, this past summer, America's financial crisis was front page news. Put simply, we ran out of money, okay? And America uh, confirmed what a lot of people have long suspected, that really, we as a nation are, we're broke, Okay. At one point, CNN reported it this way. They noted that Apple computers had more cash than America, which is pretty incredible to think. When Steve Jobs has more money than Uncle Sam, it's time for a wake-up call here. And this was really the bill come due on several things that have kind of rocked our global economy. I want you to think of what we've seen the last 24 months. We've seen bailouts of banks and companies that were too big to fail. Entire countries in Europe have teetered on bankruptcy. Greece, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, the U.S. economy has really tanked in many ways, and the econ- a lot of economists say we're on the, on the danger of having a double-dip recession. So let's just kind of face facts. We are broke. We're busted. Pockets out. And that's what this summer's battle over the debt ceiling was all about. We ran out of money. And Congress kind of acted like a couple of kids fighting over a Tootsie Pop. They refused to compromise. And the result was, for the first time in our nation's history, historic, U.S. credit was downgraded. America lost its triple-A credit rating. Here's how CNN reported it. The United States is in unfamiliar territory. Standard & Poor's downgraded the nation to double-A+. This rating is just below the triple-A rating the U.S. had held since 1917. Why did this drop happen now? The S&P said it's because of a broken U.S. political system and the nation's fiscal plan. The political brinkmanship we saw over raising the debt ceiling was something that was really beyond our expectations. Money experts say the downgrading likely isn't complete. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac could be affected next. Other AAA-rated insurance groups could be hit as well. What does this mean for Americans' finances? That answer is tricky, as this downgrade has never happened to the U.S. before. Some experts believe it could lead to higher rates on car loans, mortgages, and student loans. While some Americans are worried about the news... I'm despairing about the economy. Not all Americans are surprised by the S&P's decision. I think we've been on a track towards some irresponsible spending for quite a long time. Experts believe the U.S. can regain a AAA rating. But if it does, it likely won't happen for a while. I'm Stan Case, reporting from Atlanta. As I said, America is officially broke. We are a nation of debtors, and the bill is finally coming due. A lot of solutions have been tried. You've probably noticed we have now spent our way through that $800 billion stimulus 
past two years ago. Do you feel stimulated? Nod your head if you feel stimulated at this moment. It's really quite historic. The ripple effects are all around us. We've seen market turmoil. Wall Street is up and down all over the place. Stocks bottomed out last month. We've seen near-record unemployment. Some now 25 million Americans are out of work. That is almost 16% of the workforce. If you're a college grad, you're like, I can't believe this. I can make my, barely make minimum payments on my school loans. And most alarmingly, the total number of jobs created last month was announced at a giant goose egg. Zero. The economy has stalled, and a lot of economists say we, they, businesses have just stopped hiring for fear of what's going to happen next. Washington is broke. Your Uncle Sam is broke, okay? And people are beginning to lose faith. And candidly, there's this growing sense of hopelessness. I don't know if you've ca caught this, that the government is going to come up with a solution. And you know what? There's a good reason for that. If you've ever driven into New York City, then maybe you're familiar with this baby. Anybody ever seen this? Yeah, we just imported it here to liquid. That's the national debt clock. You can take a look at that at 6th Avenue in Manhattan. It constantly updates real time our nation's gross debt. Aren't, let's just ignore, aren't the lights pretty? Isn't that amazing? When this debt clock first was put up in 1989, the total debt of our nation was actually at $3 trillion. But in 2008, it exceeded $10 trillion for the first time, leading to news reports that they actually ran out of numbers. So they had to rejigger the entire clock so it could be double digits. And now today, this is current as of this week, our national debt has ballooned over $14 trillion. Yay for us, big spenders. Wow. That's amazing to think. I'm just going to let that kind of click behind me because I understand $14 trillion means nothing to you or me. It's an abstraction. It's like something Dr. Evil would say, $14 trillion zillion dollars, <laughs> you know? So let me just kind of break this down for you in terms that we can understand. If the U.S. government was a family, they would be making $58,000 a year, spending $75,000 with $327 in credit card debt. Okay, those are actual percentages of the U.S. government budget and debt reduced to a size you and I can understand. The question is, would you run your family that way? Then why do we allow this to happen? See, this is not a series about Washington. It's not a series about politics or even finance, per se. It's about you and me and the lifestyle that many of us have been accustomed to and what it's doing to the, us. And it's about God's desire to be part of the solution in your life. God, not government. Even that idea that it's somehow the government's responsibility to create jobs. Did you know that's a modern phenomenon? For centuries, everybody knew jobs were created by the market because at the end of the day, everyone agreed on a very simple premise that prosperity came from God alone. He owns it all. Everything is his and he loans some of it to us because he trusts us to be good steward of his money, invest it wisely. But there's been this gradual shift from God over to the government where it doesn't put God first. We put ourselves first, our plans ahead, our needs, our wants. And when the bill comes due, we look anywhere but to God, even to government for the solution. And Uncle Sam's like, don't ask me, man. I'm busted. I'm broke. And you know what? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe this is a wake-up call to realize recovery, your recovery, my recovery, our recovery as a community ain't going to start with Washington, but actually return to the biblical principles for handling God's money, God's ways. That to me is hopeful, that we don't have to actually wait around for Washington to get, fix this thing, stop the clock and get it going in the right direction. That recovery can start right here with one person, one family, one church at a time.
That's what the series is about. And I want to show some of you, maybe for the first time, what God's word actually has to say about biblical money management. Because you would be shocked. Some of the stuff we're going to look at, you're going to be like, I can't believe how simple this is. But it is radical for folks like me addicted to living in debt all the time. Last month, I read through the book of Proverbs in, in 31 days. And reading through Proverbs is like getting a master's degree in finance. <laughs> and this is very liberating because here's the big idea. Though we may not be able to control the nation's economy, we can all control our own individual economy. You understand what I'm saying? The only economy that really matters is yours. <laughs> More than anything else, we can, you and I can embrace biblical principles for handling money in our lives. And you know what? We can shift things around in our own lives that we can actually change our own economic situation even when the nation as a whole feels like it's going off the rails. That's a powerful idea. That's very empowering, because think about that. If enough of us change our own personal economies, one family, one church, one community at a time, guess what changes? Our nation's economy. That's empowering. We don't have to wait for Washington or get all partisan. It's the bad Democrats. No, it's the Republicans. No, because the recovery starts right here. At least it does at Liquid. And I'm excited about the lives that are going to change because of what we're going to go through in the next few weeks this fall as we actually look to God, the giver of all good things, what he has to teach us about prosperity and, and, and managing money his way. So let's just stop the clock. Let's stop the clock for a minute. Let's put a pause on that. And let's open God's word to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Take out your Bible if you would. We're going to look at this um, because it's a core scripture today. I hope it's going to open our eyes to see how debt really is a spiritual issue and recovery is our responsibility. It may surprise you to learn this, but Jesus spoke more on the topic of money and our stuff than he did on the subjects of heaven and hell combined. In other words, how we handle our finances is a big deal in God's eyes. And here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul's writing to a young guy named, surprisingly, Tim. Uh, and he's likely in his 20s or his 30s. And he gives him this key financial counsel found in verses 9 through 10. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a what? A trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you are taking notes, you can just take a minute here and circle this word griefs, okay? Because that is significant. That may, in fact, be the way you would describe your finances today. Just this topic is a source of grief. It's painful. It's discomfort. I saw some of you going, oh, I don't want to hear this at this point. Just the mention of the word debt, and you're like, no. Well, here's the deal. You are not alone if you feel grief about your own economy and the debts you're carrying. 14 trillion, that's a lot of national debt. That's a huge number, but we all actually have a part to play does anyone want to actually take a guess how much credit card debt the average American carries? Anyone want to take a guess at that one? Oh, that's generous. The average American carries $16,000 in credit card debt at any one time. That's not including mortgages. That's unsecure, meaning stupid debt that you can't repay. And you may, and you may say, that's the average American. Finally, I'm above average. You know, this may be your moment, you're above average in church. The question is, what's in your wallet? If you're average, my guess is you're like me, it's a bunch of these. What's in your wallet? You know the famous, uh, you know, Capital One commercial? You likely get these everyday offers in your mailbox. I remember when I was in college, and I got my first offer for a credit card, and it was a Discover card. Does anyone remember Discover? Does anyone even still have that? I don't even know if you have that. 
and it was a Discover card. They were like, hey, college kids, you know, you can go out, buy your own pizza, even if you don't have any money. And it was like, awesome. And I signed up for a Discover, and I got a $20 bonus if I could get someone else to sign up for Discover. So I got my girlfriend, my wife now, Colleen, to get a Discover card. And we just began ringing it up in college. We were juniors. Stupid stuff. We'd go out to dinner, buy tickets to concerts and shows, shopping at the mall. We spent money we didn't have on stuff we didn't need, and it was intoxicating. Because Discover was like a gateway drug, okay? You know what we discovered? The first thing we discovered is, if I have a Discover, I can get a MasterCard. And I got a MasterCard, and Colleen said, that's amazing, but guess what, Timmy? I got a Visa. And when she got that Visa, it was like an honor. I'm like, I can do you better. And I got my first American Express senior year. Can you believe they give an American Express to a 19, 20-year-old? That's mind-boggling. And like thousands of others of college students in my generation, we went skipping down that road, piling up debt, making minimum payments, and everything seemed fine until senior year when, candidly, it all hit the fan. We were broke. Colleen's parents found out she had almost $7,000 in credit card debt. I had a couple myself. And so we graduated, we got our first jobs, and we figured that would kind of right our ship. You know, we rented an apartment, but then we had, you know, I got a car, a car lease. Now that we had income, the credit card companies were like, oh, all's forgiven. Take your time, right? And we got married, and we figured, well, that'll solve things, because now we have two incomes. And it was really remarkable, because after two years, we were buried in even more debt. And I was like, we have income problems. Carl's like, what's the problem? In it comes, out it goes. I don't know. Where it stops, no one knows. Little by little, we'd pay some off, but then we'd just kind of get it all back, and then some. It was like a bad diet. And by year four of our marriage, we knew something was broke. It was broken. Here we were, two college-educated, gainfully employed, professional, career-minded people, and we're busted. We're broke. We actually circulated consistently about $21,000 in debt between all of these credit cards. We'd play credit card roulette. We'd shuffle. We'd transfer balances. Because if you transfer over here, they'll, they'll lower it and do that. Yeah, awesome. You know what I'm talking about. It's your favorite game. And it's an amazing thing. $21,000 to have that hanging over your head. First few years of our marriage, we'd shave off a little here, but then the car would break down or we'd need new tires and we'd reaccumulate it, transfer it to another car at a lower rate. And that 21 grand hung over our heads like this black cloud. We knew it existed and we loathed it, but we're like, this I guess is what adults do, right? Everybody has debt, right? Yeah, that's why everybody's broke, okay? We were broke and you know what the truth is? You can limp along like that through life for a long, long time because here's a secret. The credit card companies, they don't want you to pay off your debts. When you pay your bills and you don't carry a balance, you're a nightmare for them. See, that's how the trap works. Go back, look what Paul says. Did you see the word he used? He says, people who want to get rich. Look at this verse. And when we say rich, it would be saying people who use money they don't have to get stuff they don't need fall into temptation. And what's this word? Trap. Do you know what the Greek word for trap is? It's Pogus, which means a trap or a snare. In other words, it's like a little noose you'd put on the ground and cover it with leaves, and a little rabbit comes hopping along and wham, gotcha! Pogus, that's what that is, an unsuspecting creature. And here's the idea. By nature, you and I want to pursue nice things for ourselves. Some good, some not so good. But when we see something we really want, we, 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 we have to keep an eye out for this, this pogus or this trap. Not an obvious one, a very subtle one, okay? That on the surface, it doesn't appear to be any big issue but it is designed to lead you into ruin and destruction. Let me demonstrate how this works. Let's take, for instance, one of these six-inch beautiful Jumbotron TVs. Don't think I haven't seen you salivating, men. 
Some, and some of you, by the way, you're judging. You, you've been judging me from the moment I began talking because you're like, oh, isn't this rich? A series on money and all of that, and they got tried out three flat screens. <laughs> isn't that nice? Now, follow what? Watch this. Just stop judging me. Don't be a hater. I, al- I already had someone actually come up to me and said, dude, can I borrow one of those for the Super Bowl? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's Jesus' TV. Only he and I get to watch it. So back off. It's ours, all right? Um, but let's just say, let, let's, seriously, let's make this live, okay? Let's say you and I take a field trip to a Best Buy, every man's dream, okay? Where you see a wall of these 60-inch high-def plasma screens, and uh, you look at that and you think, oh my goodness, it's Sunday. This is week two of football season, okay? Go Big Blue. Any Big Blue here? Can we hear Big Blue? Gang Green, anybody? Jets? Anybody Jets? Okay, let's just pray together. Bring down Green Bay, Lord. We can agree on that, right? But let's say you're like, I want to watch the big game, and you know what? Finally, this is the year that I spring for it. And, um, and oh my goodness, wow, look at that baby. It actually says I could have it all. It puts together a package. I can not only get the TV, I can get the speakers, the subwoofers, the code, you know, the HDMI cables, all that junks for the low, low price of $4,999. But then you're like, that's crazy. I can't afford that. But wait, I think the Lord has heard my prayers. Because today, on Sunday, for this weekend only, it's actually $3,699. And you're like, that's like $1,300 in savings. I think it'd be a sin not to do it. Uh, you can almost taste the nachos in your living room. And it's a, and it's a, list, a little steep, but, but then the salesperson comes over and goes, actually, dude, you don't have to pay anything today. You can actually make no payments for a year with zero interest if you just start a Best Buy card. And you're like, where do I sign up? I mean, I'm an American. I am a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Giants fan. And you think this over, and it's very quick because the screen, the screen is crystal clear. You look at it, and you're like, man, when my jerky brother-in-law sees this baby, he's going to be so jealous of me. And you're, it's a bit more than expected, but this is a sweet deal, and so you take it. Husbands, uh, you've probably already made the move. You know better than this. You call your wife, and you say, hey, have you noticed the kids have been squinting a lot recently? It's like they can't see. I think, feel like it's a safety issue. Yeah, I'll pick something up at the store. And you slip that one buyer, and when casually the guy says, so uh, do you want us to uh, set it up for you? And you're like, what do you know? I'll set it up. They're like, you're going to put that on the wall? Oh, yeah. Well, no, you guys, we'll do it. Yeah, no problem. 349 installation fee. And you're like, what? But it's going to look great. And you're going to protect it, right? Your investment? And you're like, well, it is an investment. And they hand you a brochure at Best Buy, the three-year protection plan for an additional 649. And you're like, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. We're like, no. And Every TV that conks out, it's in the first three years, and this is guaranteed. Any repairs, any replacements, any parts will replace the whole thing. It's just insurance. Insurance is good. And so you go ahead, and you're going to save a bunch, and you get it. So you add the tax, 347 bucks, because Uncle Sam needs his 7% now more than ever. And so now the grand total is $5,137. Now just stop there. Just stop. Because you're like, ah, I didn't want to pay over 5000 So you take the card. No interest, no money down for a full year. And you get the Best Buy card and you drive home and you're powerful. You're imagining how good the game's going to look in high def. Now here's the deal. On the surface, this whole purchase seems, seems decent enough. It's not a trap. It's just a deal, okay? You don't got to pay for a full year. You'll have the money in 12 months. What's the danger? If you don't slow down and read the fine print or make your initial payment on time, you are going to wish you had. Because let's just say three basic assumptions, that you make no monthly payments for that first year, and then if you don't pay it off at the end of the year, the interest rate is 25%. And that year goes by 
very, very quickly. <laughs> and suddenly, your $5,137 balance is due. And the problem is your checkbook is bare. You're broke. 12 months ago, it was like no problem, but then you had that water heater thing. Then you were saving, but then you went on that road trip. Another two grand went to that. Guess what happens next? A miracle. Something supernatural. Time begins going in reverse. Because you failed to pay off this entire balance at once. That interest gets calculated from the day you made the purchase. In other words, when the calendar hits 12 months in one hour, you immediately have a new balance of $6,421 on your courtesy card being charged at a whopping 25% a day. Now, you track with me. If you make the minimum monthly payment on this from here on out, guess what you will wind up paying for this beautiful high-definition TV for the rest of your life of your deal? Anyone want to guess the total you pay for this TV? $29,811. I know, I know. This is where we do what I call the one-handed clap. How many of you would pay $30,000 for a new TV? This, my friends, is the real cost of debt. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? In fact, if you made those minimum monthly payments, by the way, let's just say you did that. You were like, I'm going to do it anyway. Minimum monthly payments. Guess how long it would take you to pay off that whole thing? Anyone guess? Yeah, try again. 55 years. In other words, you will be dead. And you can have your funeral in 1080p, baby, because you're going to the grave with this sucker. 55 years from the day you carry that home, your funeral will be in high def. People who go into debt want a lot of stuff. They fall into temptation, Paul says, and a what? Trap, a pagus. And to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Guys, this is how debt works. If you look at your finances and you say, how, how, did I, how did I get here? That's the pagus. That's the trap. It's big ticket blunders. It doesn't just happen to guys, okay? Many of us, it, it, you know, we stretch ourselves on our mortgages or on car payments. We really can't handle it. It's just the stuff of life, and it's a trap. It doesn't even have to be big ticket like this. I chose this baby for the guys here. We, we like to blow it big, but ladies leak a little bit more. <laughs> you know, they got a little dinner here, you know, some shoes here, a manicure here, a petty there. It's, little, it's that little stuff that kind of mounts up. And, and when it does, man, man, it comes in. It is tough. In fact, when it does, the result is, the word is ruin. Guess which activity more Americans will do next year? A, graduate from college. B, declare bankruptcy. Ding! B, declare bankruptcy. More bankrupt people than graduating from college next year in this country. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? Last decade, more than a million Americans declared bankruptcies three times the previous decade and expected to skyrocket in 2012. It's sobering. Some of you are personally acquainted with this. Some of you are teetering on the edge of it. Spending money that we don't have. Honestly, guys, let's just be honest. It like feels like it's what it means to be an American. Less than a third of all credit card holders pay off their balances every month. And the companies do not mind because their entire business is based on bad faith. They're hoping you make the minimum monthly payment. Even better, just be late with it. Don't even pay at all. So, you know, that's exactly what Paul's meaning when he says some people have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a suffocating way to live. I know because Colleen and I lived this way for a very long time. It leaves you feeling hopeless. I'm never going to get out back to zero. It leaves you feeling guilty. Ah, oh, savings. I know I should. Whatever. I don't know. 
Because you know your kids may, they, they, I want to help them for college, but what are we going to do? I don't, I'm just going to watch my big screen TV. <laughs> for me personally, if I can just be an honest moment, the breakthrough moment came when I just kind of swallowed the truth found in Proverbs 22. What does it say? It says, the borrower, what's the word? Is slave of the lender. Slavery. In other words, every time you sign up for any kind of debt, you are surrendering, according to God's word, a huge piece of your freedom. The lender says, jump, you got to say, how high? I was watching this documentary on the credit card company, and this executive was asked to describe his best customer. He said, our ideal customer is the one who never pays their bill. Catch this. They're banking their entire business on your inability to pay, that you're going to overestimate yourself and be irresponsible. In other words, their, their whole goal is to trap you in a cycle of indebtedness. And the result is our generation winds up slaves to Capital One rather than money serving us. See, folks, money by itself is not the issue. Money's not the issue. Money is not bad. God gave it to us as a tool to provide what we need. But Paul makes an interesting distinction here in 1 Timothy. Did you notice verse 10? The most misquoted verse for the what? The love of money. It's not money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. In other words, when you have a passion for stuff and all that it brings, it becomes a root source of all kinds of destruction in your life. Jesus was like, you can't serve both God and money. It's impossible. You're going to be a slave to one. You're going to wind up neglecting the other. You're going to pierce yourself with griefs and miss out on the life of freedom that God has for you. Think about all the freedom you give up when you're in debt. John Ortberg wrote a great book on, on the stewardship, and he says, debt obligates you to earning pressures. You guys know pressure. When you are nostril deep in debt, any disruption to your income stream becomes life-threatening. You better have two jobs. You better never miss a day of work. The mere mention of layoff just keeps you tied up in knots. Honestly, that's why a lot of people are gripped with fear right now in our nation, because they have no cushion to weather unemployment. Debt undermines joy. How, how do, how, are you going to be joyful? Are you really, how can you enjoy dinner out with a friend? Or a weekend away when you're in debt? Because somewhere deep in your consciousness, you're saying to yourself, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. We can't afford that. Not in the financial condition we're in. Ah, and your marriage suffers. 37% of marital problems come from arguments over money. Number one cause of divorce in America. Debt robs your joy. And most significantly, as a Christ follower, debt cripples your ability to be generous. When you are deep in debt, it is impossible to help others. A family member or a friend may be in crisis or, or a great giving opportunity comes along and you're like, oh, your heart says, I'd love to do that. I'd love to help them. But your wallet says, hey, ain't there to give, baby. You are broke. It is a huge tension for a Christ follower to have a heart that is full of compassion. I want to help. But a financial statement that's hemorrhaging debt. This is why the devil takes MasterCard, folks. I've said that before. I really believe that because in the end, it's not about what's in your wallet. It's about what's in your heart. You can't follow Jesus if you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And it's crazy. Do you, have you heard the news about the Joneses? They're broke, okay? They're broke. You can't give your heart to two masters. You can't be a servant of Christ when you're a slave to Citibank. So the question that we're facing is this. How do we find a way out? Is there a way out? And that's the hope I want to give you today, guys. Just on a personal level, no matter where you are, the answer is yes, there's a way out. The answer is yes, God has more for you. Yes, there's a lighter way to live. Some of you are self-condemning yourself right now. You're like, this is too painful. I'm thinking of walking out. I hope he shows a video because I'm out of here. Don't leave because we want to help you.
We are here to help you. God has more. I can show you how to honor God with your finances based on scripture. No matter how buried you are, there's a way out, but here's the deal. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. It's not about, I'm just gonna try harder this fall, but you have to be willing to follow God's biblical blueprint for recovery. If you, and if you follow it this fall, if you are really serious about turning around your personal economy, I have good news. This church stands ready to help you. And I want to I wanna finish with these last two principles so you can begin putting this into action when you leave here today. The first is actually right here in verses 6 through 8, which read this. It says, but godliness, with what's the word here, folks? Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, Paul's right, and, and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be, what's the word again? Content with that. In other words, the first step to recovering is realizing debt is a trap. The second step is recognizing that debt, at its core, is a spiritual issue. This is not a financial issue. Some of you are freaking out right now because you have this like, well, money's in a box over here. Why are we talking about it in church? Because it's a spiritual issue, not a financial issue. The Bible is saying we don't accumulate debt because we lack money, but because we lack contentment. Contentment's a spiritual issue, and it's a very difficult thing in our world to be content or satisfied with what you have. You know what it is? It's the art of saying enough. What I have is adequate. I don't need more to be happy. That's what drives a lot of our, our blunders and impulse buys. More often than not, it's not the product itself. It's not the TV, but it's about what it promises. If I have a big TV, my friends will be impressed. If I get a new outfit with some strappy heels and look cute, the guys will come to me. I'll find them. If I enjoy the finer things, I will be a finer person. We begin using money and stuff to meet spiritual needs that God never intended them to satisfy. It was St. Augustine, an early church father, he said, every human being has a God-shaped hole in their heart that God alone can fill, but we spend a lifetime trying to fill that, that hole with all sorts of stuff. Relationships is one way. That's why there's all sorts of, you know, manipulations about sex and relationships, power, prestige, career. But money is the one most often used as a substitute for significance. The problem is, is that the hole is in the shape of God, not a big screen TV. I can't get it in. And when we recognize that contentment comes from God alone, the giver of our life, not the gifts, but the giver, things change. You actually get an inner peace that pervades your spirit. You're no longer just driven by greed, but by a spirit of gratitude. When you become satisfied with what God has given you, the place you live, the car you drive, the job you have, you stop craving, and that fever breaks, but it's very difficult. Paul tries reasoning with this. He's like, don't you guys realize we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it? I notice a lot of luxury cars nowadays on the road, they have all sorts of great options and, you know, luxury packages, chrome spinners, sports package, DVD players. Here's a vehicle you will never see on the road, a hearse with a luggage rack. In other words, you take none of this with you, Paul says. But if we have food and clothing, the basics, we will what? Let's say this word together. We will be content with that, simple living. This is very difficult for our generation in particular. See, from early on, I'll just talk about me. We believe that having our basic needs met is not enough. Food and clothing, we're not content with that. We're not content with transportation. It's a lifestyle statement. I better get the leather and the iPod dock, okay? You know, the basics. That, need, that, that line between needs and wants is very blurry for people my age. 
I remember when I first began um, expanding that word need in middle school when I wanted parachute pants. You guys remember those? Anybody? Holla, testify. Parachute pants, okay? There's these dorky nylon pants with zippers. It was huge, okay? And I remember going to my mom and going, but mom, I need these parachute pants. And mom said, no, I think your tough skins are going to be okay, Timmy. Uh, you're adequate with that. You know, they just look like a goofball nose anyway. And uh, so I appealed to my dad. I said, I need these pants, dad. And he corrected me. He said, no, Tim, you want parachute pants. I'm like, don't nickel me on the grammar, man. <laughs> I got a dance coming up, man. But he's trying to introduce me to this art of distinguishing between needs and wants. And Paul's like, God provides all your needs, and you want the rest. And this is where our generation gets into trouble. Because even if we trust God to provide our needs, we don't always trust his timing. That's a huge issue for a lot of us. We believe it's our right to have a better lifestyle than our parents did, even though it took them 40 years to get there. And we're in our 20s or 30s. We believe we deserve that lifestyle now. And so we go into debt to make that happen. That's a lack of contentment with God and his timing. It's a trust issue. So maybe, maybe you're just married or getting married. You're thinking about a new home. You have a dream. You want to get a new house or something. That's a good dream. That is a noble dream. It's an American dream. The question is, are you willing to wait? Most of us aren't, candidly. And it's devastating. Because when we allow to doubt God's timing and his goodness, we race ahead of him and we stretch ourselves. We try to buy something too soon or take on, you know, another payment that's way beyond our income and debt just kind of balloons. It's all, it's not about money, folks. Debt is a profoundly spiritual issue. And the question is, do you believe what you have is enough? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can you trust God's timing? Contentment's found in the giver first, his gift second. Principle number two, debt is a spiritual issue. The last principle I want to leave you with is a game changer, in my opinion. It's why I've saved it to last. It's the most practical, and you can try this. Because when it comes to debt, the way in is the way out. Let me demonstrate what I mean. Back to Best Buy. Let's go back to our 60-inch flat screen. Some of you are still can't get your mind off it. The trap behind this baby was the snowballing interest. Yes, when you don't make payments, it goes back to the original date and it begins snowballing. That's how debt works, it snowballs. What you need to do is throw it into reverse and snowball your way out. What I'm about to quickly demonstrate to you is one of the most important things you could ever learn about your personal economy. Dave Ramsey calls it the debt snowball. If you flip your notes, your notes over today, you'll see a list I put there on the back here. Let's take an average person in this room, just average, and pretend here's a list of your debts. Here's what we've got. In the first column, you'll see the different businesses, okay, or the people that we owe. We've got Best Buy here, 18%. Target, our parents, they're being nice. They're not charging us anything. They had to make that quick loan so that you could buy or, you know, get your meal plan at school, whatever. The total owed, what we owe them in full, and then the minimum payment, the basic minimum payment that's required on a monthly basis, okay? So just take a look at that, and here's the deal. The truth is this. Minimum payments don't mean anything. They do not make a dent in one cent little thing. People do not get out of that Pagasa trap. So what are you going to do? What I'm about to show you could change, honestly, it could change your life forever. I've done it. <laughs> Here's where you need to start. You need to find an extra $200 to begin. Just stop. And you may be like, dude, I'm broke. That's the whole point. How am I going to get an extra $200? Any which way you possibly can, I want you to think about extras. Let's say you have a, uh, a Starbucks habit, that morning latte, that $5 latte every morning. You rent coffee from Starbucks every day. 
You guys know that, right? You can only rent coffee. You can only rent beer. You don't actually buy it or own it. You just kind of goes through and that's it. And you, it goes right back out. Let's take that. That's $150 a month, your, your Starbucks rental. If you eat out once a week, 25 bucks, okay? $100 a month on eating out. Cancel your cable. It's $80 right there, okay? You may be, but then what I watch on my high-def TV? Just sacrifice people. Do whatever you do, but get $200. Take a second job if you have to, because that $200 is what you're going to snowball this with. It literally changed future generations. Here's how this plays out. You start not with the biggest debt that you have, but the smallest one. In this case, $450. And your minimum payment is $50. You're going to take that $50 and add it to the $200 that we just found totaling $250. And within a matter of two months, Best Buy is gone. Bye-bye, Best Buy. Do not go in that store again. You've canceled one debt in two months, your smallest one but we're gonna let the momentum of that money now start to snowball against the next debt. We owe, your French, you shop at Target. We owe Target, biggest credit card issuer in the world, by the way, Target. Six, yeah, $650, you can't even remember what you spent on a Target, 650 bucks. But you take the minimum payment there, $30, and you take that 250 and add it to it, that payment that you had, and $280, and guess what? In two more months, Target is gone, and now the snowball is getting bigger. Let's take mom and dad next. And you say, mom and dad, I want to pay you in the next eight weeks. And they're like, is this legal? They don't know what you're doing. You know, where'd you get this money? You take the 280, and you add it to the minimum payment of 200, and guess what? Mom and dad are paid off in a matter of a few months. They are paid back. And the whole idea here, guys, is you're beginning to snowball and take this money and apply it to the next series of debts that you owe. You tackle Visa next, 1800 Again, always taking the sum, and guess what? You cancel that one out next, the debt snowballs. Then you take your car. Finally, you take your school loans. And you can see it begins increasing because you're, inc you're in getting bandwidth in your budget until finally you're making an $1,100 payment on a $9,000 school loan. And guess what? This is incredible. Look at that, all that debt, like $19,000. Start with the smallest down to the largest. That begins snowballing. The way in is the way out. Now catch this. If you just made the minimum monthly payments on each of these debts, guess how long it would take you to pay them all off? Ten years. That is assuming you never buy gas for your car or have another coffee in your life. But if you did this debt snowball, do you know how long it would take? Anybody? 21 months. That's how long that would take. Less than two years, and you are completely debt-free. In other words, it's a difference of 99 months of not paying interest, but instead you actually get to save. Now buckle up, because this is where it gets crazy. If you took that last payment, about $1,100 a month that you no longer owe, and you, began, and you actually now took that amount and invested it, say something very conservative, 12% for those 99 months you would have been paying at the end of the period. You know how much you would actually have saved at the end of 10 years? You would have just paying on debt. That's $186,569.86 in New Jersey. That's enough to buy a garage. <laughs> yeah. The way in is the way out. Can you say it? The way in is the way out. You can do this, people. Debt buried you under. You got to snowball your way out. What I have just shown you is a strategy taught in our class, Financial Peace University, or FPU. It was invented actually by Dave Ramsey. You guys know Dave Ramsey? You've heard him. Awesome guy. Awesome, awesome teaching. Christian brother in Christ. 
um, but he, is, he wrote the New York Times bestseller, The Total Money Makeover. And Financial Peace University, we are offering this fall at every one of our campuses beginning on Sunday, October 9th from 1 to 3 p.m. on campus. FPU will teach you actually how to manage your money God's way. Maybe you've never set a budget before. It gives you a biblical perspective that gives you baby steps towards financial freedom. And this is amazing. This is amazing. I, I checked with Pastor Dave. Dave Brooks is our executive pastor, overseas finances, all that. We started FPU two years ago. And since those two years, people in this congregation have retired and eliminated $900,000 in debt. That is freedom. Here are some stories. I was embarrassed by my finances. In three credit cards alone, I had $23,000. We generally have lived within our means. We just never had a, a true path uh, that we were heading towards. No real goal. Financial Peace University is a 13-week video program designed by Dave Ramsey. FPU teaches families and individuals to pay off debt, save for the future, and give like never before. In fact, the average family pays off over $5,300 in debt and saves $2,700 while completing the program. When I read that a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, the light went on for me. I want to be debt free for once in my life. It was time to grow up and take responsibility for the money that God had placed in our lap. You know what you can do if you don't have any payments? Anything you want. Imagine life without debt. Financial Peace University. Sign up today and take control of your life. FPU is one of the most practical classes we offer here at Liquid, and it literally can change your life. I know the people in this congregation who it has. You can begin your own recovery. When you begin trusting God's word for direction, you actually can discover a way out. You learn the basics, not just how to set up a budget or a debt snowball, but actually savings, actually have financial goals. And the goal actually is freedom, spiritual freedom, because you no longer will be a slave to the lender, but you can be a servant of Christ. Money doesn't own you. God owns you. We don't serve money. Money serves us, and we serve Christ, not Citibank. But we never learned this stuff in college. Our generation just missed out. We just kind of zombie walked through life being consumers. I want you to imagine where you are today, no matter how painful it is, I want you to imagine being debt-free by the new year. Can you imagine that? Some of you are like, well, I'll take a miracle. Here's your miracle. Ding, ding, okay? No matter how the economy goes, I want you to imagine in 2012 not being broke anymore. Families in this church have retired $900,000 in two years. And this fall, we're going to break the million mark, I guarantee you. And I hope you'll be part of it. Do not wait for Uncle Sam. He's broke. The recovery starts with you, not with the government, but with you. Because when you fix your family, we fix the economy. And when you learn biblical money management, it'll change your life. Because you know what? It did for me and Colleen. Colleen and I have been broke. We've lived broke. But with God's help, we eventually climbed out of that $21,000 debt that we just dragged around for years. And you know what? We still struggle with living where we do. <laughs> Juggling a mortgage, a couple of kids, all that. We... We fight to distinguish between what's a need, what's a want. We worry about our kids catching affluenza. How do we get, vaccinate them against this consumer culture that wants to turn them into zombie shoppers bigger, better, faster, more? It's a battle. How do we teach them contentment and to live debt-free and handle God's money God's ways? It starts with us. And here's the deal. The Lucas family is now debt-free. We finally have an emergency fund 
We're systematically saving for college and retirement. And we've been able to increase our giving every single year. You know why? Because the Bible works. God's word works. My question is, what could God do if every single person in this church got serious about stewardship this fall? Guys, this is about your recovery. It's not about this church. It's about your family, my family. If this campus got serious and it trickled out into the community, into our city, our state, you know what would happen? Together, the national economy would change. That's hope, folks. So don't you dare sit there and wait for Washington to get its act together. The recovery begins now. And I am excited, you probably can tell, about the lives. Because I know family legacies that are going to change this fall because we took God at his word. Amen? Let me pray for us right now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word of truth. I thank you that it comes straight from the ancient wisdom of the Bible that's as relevant today in the 21st century as it was when it was first penned, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the men and women who, by faith, are going to take a step of faith today, sign up for FPU, and their family legacy is going to change. They're going to taste freedom, financial freedom, and it's going to allow them then some spiritual freedom, Father, as they're actually able to expand their heart, Lord, generosity. Lord, I pray right now and thank you for what you've done in the lives of so many people in this church, and I pray that you'll do it in our generation in a way that blows us away. We put our faith in you, not Uncle Sam, and we pray for our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.